I think that I am just really interested in humans. <laughs> well, and I'm going to expand that to life forms and objects as well. And answering the question of why I think having that interest or that curiosity is what drives doing anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected path to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm an artist, a marketer, and a storyteller. On today's show, I am so excited to welcome Carissa Potter. Carissa is also known as People I've Loved. She creates that artwork and runs that website, and it's stories and illustrations and books and goods that are all about the human condition all about finding love, connecting with one another as people, and about real sadness and heartache and the joy of life as well. I really am such a big fan of Carissa's work and what she's doing with people I've loved. Her illustrations and the stories that she tells in her books are so touching and moving, and I think really connect with people in pretty magical ways. On today's episode, we talk about Carissa's path to starting People I've Loved, her reality check, so to speak, of moving from art school to the real world. And we also talk about some of her personal struggles with sadness, depression, and we get pretty heavy in this conversation. I hope that for those of you out there listening who are dealing with struggles or know someone who is struggling, will listen to this episode, listen to Carissa's story and maybe sharing this with a friend who could benefit from hearing this story and listening to our conversation. I'm so grateful to Carissa for joining the show and being so open with her story. I'm really excited for you all to hear it and listen and share it. And let's get started with my conversation with Carissa Potter of People I've Loved. Carissa, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, so glad to meet you. I love your artwork, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, thanks. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk to you, too. Yes, that's awesome. And hope that there's something exciting that you find, too. Yes, absolutely. There there will be. And um, I thought we could start off, and just for listeners who may not know your work, if you could talk a little bit about people I've loved and what you make there, and what you do there. Um, so we are a small sort of object and print company based in Oakland, California. Um, we've been around since 2012, um, which is every year that goes by. It's awesome because then that's another year, and I'm I'm pretty proud that we've been around for if I can do my math, it's, oh my gosh, it's six years. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, but we make things that uh, try to help people through difficult situations in their lives um, and connect with other people or things um, to hopefully make them feel better. Stemming from it, it started, uh, I used to think of sort of greeting hearts as, as mini performances. Um huh for strangers that I could somehow facilitate um, like, having a conversation uh, and it going well. <laughs> and, and and it was your performance for this stranger that was being conveyed in a, in a greeting card? No, more so like I was giving them the, the opportunity to have the performance of 
talking to each other about maybe a difficult topic oh, or wow. a really exciting topic, depending on what they wanted to talk about. Right. That the that the card itself is yeah. kind of like a vehicle. It's, yeah. To to a conversation. Yeah. Between them, and your work really does that. It speaks so acutely to like the interior life and the nuances of love relationships and and friendships also in grief. It sounds like you had such like a specific idea behind that. When did the idea kind of like codify that that was the kind of work you wanted to make with people I've loved? I mean, there's not a really easy answer. It's sort of yeah. like a things started out I turns out I'm not a very good communicator. Um, and I really want people to like me and I, I really want to sort of connect. And it's always been a a challenge, um, not to feel like isolated and lost alone. So, um, in graduate school at SFAI, um, I worked a lot, uh, with trying to explore relationships and relationship possibilities. And so, uh, actually, uh, the first business I, worked with um, Luca Antonucci and I started Culpa Press in 2010. Yeah. Um, and at the time we, we both were just, we were really into prints and art objects and books mm-hmm. um, to sort of continue the conversation that we had had in grad school, but not at like sort of a blue chip gallery situation, but more so on the streets, like that we could collect yeah. our peers work. Um, so definitely an accessibility, um, and then also create spaces where, um, people could exhibit or get their work out there too. Um, but we stopped working together in 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, um, started people I've loved and then about like six or seven months later, uh, another artist, um, who lives in Oakland, Heather Van Winkle helped um for a couple of years and now um it's uh it, it it's evolved um yeah, over a, the years so it's, it's a small it's, business and there's there's you and six employees uh yep okay. um is it something like that something it kind like of that. ebbs and flows and this is actually yeah. um busy season for us because okay. it's almost on the holidays right uh, so yeah <laughs> and so it at SFAI, when you were exploring um, these ideas around relationships and communication and working with couples and friends, was that work all different kinds of mediums exploring that kind of subject and emotional life? Or was it you know, kind of similar in line to the drawings and the writing that we see in your work today? Yes and no. Um, I think if I look at it through like a, how do you commercialize? Like it, um, how do you survive off of tailoring this sort of gut feeling into something that um, can can be consumed by other people and thus then you can eat? Right, right. Uh, which is, I really like food. <laughs> and um, I, I think not to overuse this word because I know we used it a few moments ago, but I think making objects accessible is also something I, um, is sort of a core value of mine. 
But back to the question. So before they were kind of much more ambiguous and sort of esoteric, um, small publications. Mm. Uh, and I think over the years they've had to sort of be refined and also, um, not everything I don't think is necessarily highly <laughs> conceptual or has like a, an underpinning of, how do I say this? Uh, pushing the, pushing the boundaries of what objects and paper can do. Mm. Um, some things are just, uh, nice, nice things yeah. to, to send to people who yeah. you love. And did you realize during graduate school that pursuing more of like a gallery or fine art path was not going to be something that was appealing to you? I mean, you've talked about this whole idea about accessibility and people getting access to this kind of work. Did you realize that in grad school? No, absolutely not. I graduated from grad school and then was like, why aren't all of these galleries not just approaching me? Not only did I not have work that would be shown in galleries and I didn't contact any gallery galleries. I was just thinking, Oh, why aren't they calling me and right. emailing me and reaching out and offering me these shows? So-and-so who graduated with me is doing really great. Why am I not doing that great? Actually, Luke and I both worked at the Bagruin gallery. Um, and I think, I, I just don't think that the kind of work that I was really excited about at the time was, it just happens very rarely that I go into sort of a more traditional setting and I'm really excited and moved about what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, I think there's a ton of good work out there. I just, I don't know how to, for me, I'm really in it for the sort of, trying to understand what it means to be human. And um, for me, that conversation wasn't necessarily happening um, in galleries or museums. I could just be making this up because they, those galleries and museums still don't yeah, but want it, for, me, <laughs> but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it could be total, totally an excuse, but um, <laughs> so the, justifying. No, but it sounds like that, that was your experience that you were going into these galleries and not really seeing the work that spoke to you in the way that you want to speak to people. I think so. But I also think there was, it seemed so far off and so difficult and so unimaginable to be one of those people who could survive off of their fine art career. Yeah. Um, that it actually really never seemed like it was a viable path, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the, the closer thing, like within my, fingertips was was potentially like teaching mm -hmm. um and turns out i'm not a very good teacher so did you do uh, that for a little bit did you try that yeah um everybody should try teaching <laughs> um i think it was like a couple weeks ago there was that article in the times about how like people who are really good in fields aren't necessarily good teacher and should not be teaching people mm. but i fully agree with that i feel like some people really like teaching and they should teach. Right. It's um, a specific skill set, not 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 just tied to whatever you're good at. Yeah. I also think it's it's in the Bay Area, it's super difficult to survive off of even a teacher's sure. um income. Yeah. And uh for me, I this this sounds um insanely selfish and indulgent. Um and I can't believe I'm saying it out loud, but <laughs> I think that I really wanted to make what I was interested in, I didn't necessarily want to focus on 
though I am really inspired and excited about other people's projects, I wanted to find that in a more authentic, genuine way. Yeah. Not necessarily force it all the time. Yeah. Which I think being a teacher, maybe it comes a little bit more naturally where you get really pumped. Right, right. About about what they're working on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and not to say that I don't like other people's projects. I really, really do. Of course, um, I yeah. just, why do we want to make as humans? I don't know. I, I, why do I still, I'm not totally sure. You feel that, that urge too. Yeah. And it's oddly deep, um, in that I've been worrying a lot lately about how, why make anything in this world that's so polluted with stuff. Um, and, and maybe a, a more radical stance would be to not make anything, but I get this like, Super chemical high. Um, I don't. Do you get that too when um, you make things? Yeah, definitely during the process, and then when it's done, I feel like this kind of relief. Yeah, like oh, I did it. Like the thing is, I did it, and there it is. Feels good. Yeah, it just feels like oh, that idea that was just like it was in there, it was in my hands, in my head. Now it's in the world. Like ah, I can breathe and move, move forward. <laughs> For real. Yeah. You get that that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like most people do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And has that urge to create always been a part of your life? Were you doodling and drawing as a kid and teenager? Um, were you doing a lot of that? Was it kind of like a private thing? I actually pretty, um, I can't draw. Uh, it's hard. I think it's, I think it's still not. I really want to like develop a practice where I just like draw every day. Um, but I haven't been able, I, I'm sort of bad with self-discipline. Um, but I'm surprised to hear that because your, your work is full of drawings. Yes. I think it's because drawing, I, I, what I'm really interested in is that sort of like really rapid emotional exchange. And I found that using a combo platter of text yeah. And really shitty drawings <laughs> is good enough um to relay that message. <laughs> right. Uh in an efficient way. Right. Uh I no, I'm I'm I think that I, I watch people who have like sort of a natural skill at rendering things and I am so unbelievably jealous. It's something that I really have to work at. Yeah. Uh, I think. I guess where I was going with it was like my I'm of a generation where my mother told me my drawings were really special. <laughs> and uh, I believed her, even though the rest of the world didn't necessarily agree. Um, but I just, you know, there's something, the, the paradox of being a good parent, it really sets you up for like a shocking awakening when you, when you leave the nest of yeah, that, that and the then, bubble. Yeah. And then suddenly the world's like, no, that line really just looks like a line and not an entire universe or something. <laughs> That's a bad example. But uh, but that, get, those kinds of drawings were, were there when you were? I think, I, I'm, I think that my mother, both my parents were really supportive of me teaching uh, and studying art, but definitely emphasis on the teaching. Uh, <laughs> because that would be like a stable yeah. path. Or being a nurse or going oh. into the military. Really? 
Yes. Were your parents in the military? No. <laughs> okay. Um, they were just like, you should go there. Yeah, that just seems like a good idea. So you're getting encouraged about the drawing, but then you're also getting like, or a nurse, or the military, or... Uh, or uh, I think they wanted me to have a career that um, could I could survive off of. And yeah. I think like the idea of, I think that they were probably, they probably knew that I wasn't a child artistic prodigy that they told me I was. No, they didn't actually <laughs> say that, but uh, that's, that that's it might be harder right. to survive than maybe I had been led to believe. Yeah. I think getting that kind of support can be wonderful. It led you to, to feeling maybe the, the, the power that you could kind of go forward in this track. Um, and at the same time, maybe didn't prepare you for the real world's reaction outside of that kind of circle of, uh, love and trust. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anything can really prepare you for your life. Right. I'm curious about, the sensitivity that you, you talk about and you display so much in your work. I think you can, maybe you're looking inside for some of these kind of observations and maybe also externally. And I'm wondering if that sensitivity has always been like a core part of who you are. And if you've always been kind of curious about the emotional life, your own emotional life and, and that of the people around you. It's interesting to me that you would use the term sensitive. I don't know. That's that's a term I, I, I get sort of variations of this question. Yeah. I've had it a couple times um, in the few times that I've been lucky enough to have someone interested enough to <laughs> listen to what I am or potentially have to say. Yeah. But um, I think that I was, I felt labeled as the sensitive child growing mm. up. And I think that that was another reason that I went into sort of um, doing uh, visual media because sensitive children go into the arts or whatever. Sure. I don't think it was like a conscious, like I don't have any special talent in it. I think it was just like, Oh, I've, I am, I've been labeled the sensitive child, so I must be sensitive. So I must right, like right, art. Right. Um, just like when people get, the like, kids get on certain tracks and, you know, I must be good at, I'm in the advanced math. I must be good at that. So I should keep doing it. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Soothe. Soothe is an amazing on-demand massage service. So if you're at home, on the go, at a hotel, or even at work, you can use their app to call for a masseuse. And they'll come within 24 hours or you can schedule it in advance. If you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get $20 off your first booking with Soothe. I have used Soothe. And massage and self-care is so important to the creative process. As creative people, we have to take care of ourselves. Otherwise, we'll burn out. We won't have the energy to approach and tackle these creative challenges and jobs and projects and programs that we're working on day in and day out. So Soothe really makes massage and self-care more accessible. That's why I'm so excited about them. My experience getting a massage with Soothe was awesome. It was amazing. It was kind of everything you'd expect from going to a masseuse at their own place or spa, but in your home. They bring everything you need to have a wonderful experience and feel amazing. So check out Soothe. Go to Soothe.com, download the app, use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, and you'll get $20 off your first booking. 
All right, let's get back to the show. How did your books for for Chronicle come together? Uh, I like you, I love you, and it's okay to feel things deeply. You nailed it. Yeah. Were those collections of stuff that you had been working on, or is it just making a book from the ground up? Um, both were actually um, a bit different. Uh, or they both happened sort of differently. Um, the I Like You, I Love You book, well, I think mainly I had a different editor for both of them. Okay. And I think who the team of people who you're working on things with really sort of guides the process or it did for, did for me. Um, Cause I mean, different people get excited about different things, but I like you. Right. I love you. Um, was, was sort of a, it was much more f- like free flowing and, and just like I let whatever I was excited about just kind of like go. And then I would, and then rearranged it at the end and yeah. it was like oh really these are about these can be categorized by stages of a relationship hmm. um it wasn't like i set out uh with trying to chronologically represent sort of universal stages or steps that that people go through yeah and then uh but i but it was lovely that <laughs> that it had some sort of structure yeah um cuz i'm also not very good at at structure but the um it's okay to feel things deeply actually started from my did a residency at Facebook in 2016. Cool. Um, both books are sort of about Josh, mm-hmm. um, who I'm married to one in a more literal way. And then the other one, um, I was thinking about in 2016 while I was doing this residency, I, uh, stopped taking my SSRI. Um, I think I, or I was on Paxil at the time. It had been since I was um, 16. And the. What is SSRI? A selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, I believe. It's, okay. It's to help with. Um, it's like a Prozac. Okay. Only for anxiety and depression. Okay. Um, But Josh and I were thinking about the possibility of starting a family. Yeah. Um, and to do so, uh, I think a lot of medical professionals had recommended uh, maybe. Uh, not taking Paxil and um, in the beginning I wanted to try to get off of it all the way. Yeah. Um, Now I'm not off of it. I'm on something else. Okay. It's apparently everybody's different and I need to be on a medication. (laughs) And And that's, that's something that you realized in like your teenage years. uh, So I think again, having, uh, so I should also mention my, both my grandparents were in therapy and then my mother. Um, so I think that there was a lot of awareness maybe around mental health. Yeah. And um, like I, I, when my parents got divorced when I was 10, I started seeing a therapist. Yeah. And so they were sort of like very. Um, Open to that kind of help. Yeah. But almost to a, I don't, it's really difficult for me to like remember it objectively. Not that, that could even be possible, but like, it's difficult to, when I remember it, I don't really remember having a difficult time with a divorce. Like yeah. I was like, Oh, here are these two people. They're together, but they don't want to be together. So that's cool. It didn't, I didn't have that sort of feeling like, Oh, they don't love me. anymore. I was like, right. it's not, I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with Casey and I, it just, 
guys yeah are doing your thing right i'm just gonna go over here and do my thing um but i think there was a lot of like well how does that make you feel Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't know if again i don't you're so impressionable too when you're young i don't i don't know if oh well maybe i am sick right you know maybe this is affecting me but also conversely yeah um going off this medication i do feel like sorry this is sort of related to my um artistic practice (laughs) um that i that maybe my parents were right that maybe i did need to be on it i think the story i had been telling myself for many years was that i don't know if i need to be on this or not i'm just going to keep taking it because it's easier than getting off of it yeah um but the but oh so um in trying to get off of this to um potentially have a family i plummeted and um into depression or just into a state that I hadn't ever, I don't think I had ever um, experienced before in that um, I had been depressed before, but I hadn't been, uh, I think it was like a, it was a prolonged period of not sleeping and only thinking about killing myself for a couple months in a way that I didn't, I couldn't have been trusted to be alone. Um, and so my mother came out, came out and did things like woke me up or made me not necessarily woke me up, but made me get out of bed and go on a walk wow. and every morning and, um, like force anyway. I'm so sorry that you went through that. Oh no, I think, I think it's, I think, it, have you not had sadness issues? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's. It's something most of us at one point. I don't know anyone who hasn't experienced extreme lows. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I also don't know a lot of people in other professions. But yeah. I just have to assume that dentists have down days. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and that they they go through the same range of emotions. Yeah. But maybe not. I don't know. No, of course, yeah. It's okay to feel things deeply. It was um, I'm trying to sort of like claw my way out of it, mm. um, and um, I I feel much better now. But I'm also back on a medication, <laughs> and it's um, it's helping. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was this for like maybe a month and a half. I I didn't have. It was very. I didn't have the chemical sensation of hope. Or nothing was, or every I, I don't know how to describe it, but like everything is sort of gray and horrible, and nothing is exciting, and you don't want to eat, and you just worry about how no one. I don't know. I'm glad that you you were able to to get to a place where you're feeling better. Yeah, I think it, that way. I think making things is really, um, really therapeutic, um, and I think working through things whether it be through cooking or gardening or, you know, bathing. Yeah. Dog petting. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, having something to sort of, I think one of my intense fears, and I had a lot of them during this time, was that I would never make anything again. I mean, I still have that fear every day, but it's not like debil- debilitating, debilitating, debilitating yeah. as it was at that time. At that time, and were you were you not creating, and you had this this book due, and you were not really? I couldn't. 
You couldn't, yeah. Um, I couldn't do anything. What was happening with the business during this time? Uh, well, this was a, um, so I'm super grateful for, I mentioned Heather, um, earlier. Heather really, I've been really lucky again to have, to have gotten the chance to work with really incredible, awesome people over the years. And I think Heather, also it was during slow season. Mm-hmm. Um, which was convenient in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it, uh, she she really held held it together, um, and held. I'm sure it was really frightening for her, and I know it was really frightening for Josh. Um, Were you married at the time? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was only two th- two years ago. Okay, so and I'm you guys still. Have been... Oh, go ahead. I'm no, oh, no. I'm just. I I still don't feel out of the woods. Like any day it could just sort of like creep back in. And some days it's like pre- absolutely present more than not. But it, it, after this too, it was, it, it feels like I'm constantly or we're constantly on this like tight rope of sanity that just could get knocked over at any, any day. Um, it, it, it's really baffling to me how like society holds up. Yeah. What has been kind of the romance versus reality of running your business? Because I read that 95% of your time is spent on non-making stuff in the in the business. And I think it's just important for people to hear if you want to live this, you know, life and career that can be a bit romanticized, you know, just looking at the Instagram and the books and all of that, you know, people get to experience the artwork, which is wonderful. But behind the scenes, for people who are interested in, in doing this kind of thing, what's that balance like? And do you have to love all of that other stuff you do besides the non-art? Well, besides the art making? I don't know. Uh, and I definitely don't have any good answers on how to balance it. <laughs> Um, it's just the, that's, this is what you want to do. And that's, that's what, what well, you have I've, to do to support it. Now I feel like I'm so deep in it. Right. That I don't know if I could know how to do anything else. Um, I, I think uh, something that is exciting about being going to art school and also going to business school is like, it's pretty much problem solving. And, uh, I like problem. I like solving problems. Yeah. I mean, I think it's exciting. I get more. So the thing, the thing that's sort of troubling, interesting and exciting simultaneously for me is I get, I get a lot of like life story emails. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because if people, yeah, come to you with like how this work related to them or like, help change like the trajectory of a relationship or anything like that. Yeah. What do you, what do you hear? You get life story emails. Uh, and I, it's again, I feel like this has been the sort of theme of this conversation. It's both terrifying, terrifying and extremely heartwarming. I think it really depends on the topic. Um, a lot of the time it's like one of the most, I think, profound compliments to have someone relate to something that you've gone through. Um, 
But then at the same time, it's also, if it's not necessarily a positive thing, I think that, not to put a value judgment, I mean, whether hard times are positive in the long run, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's obviously a matter of perspective, but like having a, when I was, uh, for the, when I did a, the book signing for It's Okay to Feel Things Deeply at the SF MoMA, the first woman who came up, um, looked at the book and was like, how did, how did you come up with this? And I was like, I don't, you know, I, I get sad. I am sad. I need to figure out how to not be sad all of the time. Like be great to, you know, have some balance, some ups and downs. And then she went into this story about how her, her daughter was like that. And then she sort of goes on and how, you know, brilliant and promising she was and, and, and that she had just recently killed herself. And I, in that point, and I, I, I just like wanted to hold this stranger in a weird way of, or, yeah. but that's not always the way people want to be comforted. Yeah. And that, I mean, there's obviously nothing I, I could say or do, but I, you have to do something. Um, and I think in that, that regard, it's been a lot harder than I, anticipated because you're giving a lot but you're also getting back a lot and that's there's a there's a weight to those stories yeah in a way that i wasn't anticipating mm-hmm. and in some ways is so uh sort of contagious to sort of pass around this cold but the idea of losing losing someone so close to you uh just seems like a unfathomable um, thing and then I mean five seconds later someone would come up and be like you know I'm I'm really sad and I you know I've bought a lot of books and none of them would help have helped and so I'm buying this one can you sign it for me <laughs> and uh, at that point too it's like you really want to help but there's so no guarantees and of like the fundamental uncertainty right. of that ambiguity is also really heartbreaking and sort of highlights the potential pointlessness of of existence as well. It gives us, yeah, is this stuff that was like a micro moment of like, is this does this matter? Yeah, is it going to matter? Why are we doing anything? Yeah, um, and I I don't know. I have to keep going back to that sort of, it feels good to make things. Right. I feel better after I make things. Yeah. Just the, just that kind of animal reaction. Like, yeah. well, that feels good. So keep doing it. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's helping and, and sometimes it's not, not helping. <laughs> really appreciate you being here. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with Carissa Potter from People I've Loved. You should definitely check out her work at peopleiveloved.com. You can get her books. You can get her goods. You can follow her on Instagram at People I've Loved. And I really recommend checking out the work. It's incredible. It's moving. And it's really fun and can be really joyful as well. Be sure to check out makingwayspodcast.com. 
That is our central hub for all things Making Waves. You can find our social media there. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can hear about merchandise that we have for sale as well. So check out makingwavespodcast.com. If you haven't yet, please head on over to iTunes, leave a review, or even just share this podcast with a friend or colleague or family member who you think would love it. Making Ways Podcast is produced by me, Rob Goodman, your host. It's sound engineered by Jim Metzendorf. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. Thank you all so much for listening. I am so grateful to this community for embracing Making Ways and sharing it and giving your feedback. And I want to keep hearing from all of you in the new year and beyond. So thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.